Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, retired NYPD Sergeant Bill Cannon, a 27-year veteran of the NYPD. Guys, I'm so excited about tonight's show. Uh, we have a really uh, amazing guest, one that many people admire, you know. In fact, as I told him earlier before we went on the air, that I've criticized him a few times, and I get, like, hate messages. So he's a real popular guy. And we're pretty thrilled to have him on. And we're going to talk about we're going to talk about the Gilgo case, Rex Hewerman, and new evidence and witnesses that uh, John Ray, Attorney John Ray, who is our guest, I just let the cat out of the bag, is going to be on our show. And we're going to ask him some questions. I think that a lot of mainstream media people don't. You know, they throw what we consider sometimes. You'll say, "Oh, you got thrown a softball." Sometimes they're throwing them beach balls. You know. But we're going to ask him questions a little more difficult. We're going to be, we're going to be civil. We're not going to be mean or anything like that because we're, we're really happy to have him on the show. So, folks, hang on to your chair. Get ready for true crime, real crime from a police perspective. You're entering, you're entering the off the cuff zone, the police off the cuff zone. There has to be some common sense. Yes, sir, they have the car stopped in Tampa Ranch, Michael We still don't know who pulled the trigger. Folks, I want to get right to this, so let me introduce our co-host, and we'll introduce the guest to you. Coming on with us tonight is retired NYPD sergeant, professor at Albertus Magnus College in Connecticut, a law degree. He's an educated guy, and he also hears confessions every once in a while. We call him Father Mike Geary. Mike, welcome to the show. Billy, good evening. Thank you for having me on. Looking forward to the show. I am too. And we also have another co-host with us tonight. Straight out of Brooklyn, New York, retired NYPD detective, Phil Grimaldi. Phil, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good, Billy. Very excited about tonight's show. And forgive me, Father, I have sinned, Mike. <laughs> Thank so you. So I'm not going to keep you guys in suspense. We have tonight a great guest, and you've seen him all over the media. You've seen his flamboyant dress. We like that. We asked him maybe if he had a good hat he could put on, but... He's not going to wear the hat tonight. Welcome to the show, Attorney John Ray. Thank you. Good evening, fellas. Thank you for having me. Good evening. Good evening. Mr. Ray, it is an honor. As much as, you know, look, I've criticized you in the past. I'm not going to hide behind that. And people come to your defense all the time. People say, oh, Mr. Ray. John, what I want to get to right away is, and, and I don't know if everyone realizes this, but you kept this case alive when there was a lot, some misconduct uh, by the Suffolk County Police Department. And even though the Shannon Gilbert case up to into this point has not been ruled a homicide by the uh, medical examiner, Suffolk County medical examiner, you were able to keep this case going and this case alive, which led to some things that perhaps wouldn't have happened if you weren't uh, on this case. Your comments. Thank you. 
Do you have any comments to that? Well, yeah, I appreciate your uh, your kindness in that. I do. I, the fact is that the police department back in the day when Shannon's remains were found in December of 2011, after all the others uh, in Oak Beach and Gilgo Beach were found, the fact is that there was a willful, uh, intentional cover-up led by chief of police at that time, James Burke, who was a pervert. And he corrupted the entire system and shut down the investigation, pushed the FBI out, pushed the Nassau County Police Department out, state police, New Jer uh, Jersey City police who were investigating because Shannon was from Jersey City. He drove all those people out. And especially Jersey City mattered because that fellow there, Detective Camacho, Cesar Camacho, missing persons detective was doing a fabulous job. He's a great guy. Um, and they just shut him down. And all of that happened for 12 years and it kept the police department stripped of any uh, ability or, or intention to seriously investigate any of the cases. And that was so true that by somewhere in the, in the, um, from 2011 on up until somewhere around 2020, 21, two, uh, there was only one police officer, Detective Sergeant uh, Portella, who was investigating the entire case. And we didn't know that. They misled the public into thinking they were actively pursuing the case. So the police department, whether the corruption was moral, ethical, or in some way material, I don't really comment. I don't, not sure. But I do know they were corrupted. And he put people in positions where detectives and such that just went along with what he intended, he being Burke. And well, you know, uh, Mr. Ray, when we found out uh, when Rodney Harrison took over, and that's when, of course, the Gilgo Beach Task Force was formed and things happened rather quickly after that, when right. you consider that the previous 12 years, they had all of this information in the case folder that was never acted upon. You know, the right. Chevy Avalanche, for example. Uh some of the things in the case folder about Amberlin Costello, uh, the witness, and those things never made it. They, it seemed like they didn't act upon it. And then once they found out about this, when they formed the task force, Rex Schulman was identified within, I think it was two months, they yeah. identified him. And they didn't identify him for all those years prior. Phil, you got something to ask Mr. Ray? Yeah, uh, I just want to echo the words of Bill earlier. Uh, I think we have to acknowledge that uh, Attorney Johnny Ray did keep uh, this case in the media. I think that that was very, very helpful to keep this uh, case uh, active, so to speak. Uh, there were a lot of victims in this case. Um, however, I do disagree with some of the things that he stated with regard to Shannon Gilbert. Uh, I know that there's 100% that there was corruption with the district attorney's office in Suffolk County and as well as the police commissioner, Burke. Uh, you said he was a pervert and there's no question about that. Uh, however, I don't see that there was a major cover up in the Shannon Gilbert case. Uh, everything that I've seen as an investigator and all my experience, uh, I don't see it as a homicide. Uh, we talked about the, uh, the autopsy that was done by Dr. Michael Baden. And based on that alone, I don't think that that's even close to being considered a homicide. Uh, and I also pointed out several things in previous uh, shows 
there were so many different people involved in that 911 call. Uh, if someone was going to kill a person, would they allow them to call 911 and stay on with 911 for an extended period of time? That right there is very, very uh, a huge red flag for me. So I do believe that um, uh, there's a lot of things that happen in this case that perhaps fall into a corruption uh, subject. But uh, with regard to Shannon Gilbert, why, Mr. Ray, why would the Nassau, I'm sorry, the Suffolk County Police Department now, not going back to uh, when Burke was the police commissioner, now with, uh, with Rodney Harrison at the helm as the police commissioner, why would they exclude this case from a dozen other cases and, and label it uh, a serial killer crime? Well, let me ask you something, Detective. Did you watch the uh, and listen to the streaming of my symposium last Tuesday? I did see some of it, not all of it, but I did right. see, I saw when you had the affiant that read from a state statement and I did see the part that you talked about with regard to the hotel statement regarding Acer Ellerum. Well, then you missed the important part, which was we did an explication in detail of, of the answer to your question, uh, where, where essentially the police case that she died of some tragic accident was annihilated by the evidence, not just by me uh, and my rhetoric, but rather, rather by the evidence. Would you please expand on that then? Sure. Well, I know you, you fellas are always, you know, you're a homicide guy, I think, right? A former homicide guy. And, uh, you know, homicide detectives, to my mind, are the creme de la creme of the police department. They're the guys that really understand and know they're the trained, the ones that are highly trained to, solve crimes and more so than anybody else they have to rely upon of course evidence what did um, sherlock holmes say evidence evidence always evidence and so much so that the the cops know the homicide cops know that you can't go forward with a case unless you have sufficient evidence to convict because that guy will walk and will be on the street right. so you rely on evidence and i ask you this question Show me one scintilla of evidence that the police department has that proves that Shannon died of a tragic accident. They don't identify the accident. They have no evidence of any accident. They said it's their opinion that it was an accident. When did homicide people ever have an opinion without basing it on evidence? It's completely contrary to their entire existence. And that's nonetheless what they have done. Something is seriously wrong with that. I've, I've, you know, I've been doing this uh, business for 41 years. I'm in my 41st year. I've, I've been involved in 33 homicide cases and many other criminal cases, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of them. And I, I can't even count anymore. I've cross-examined police officers who I count as very brave people for the most part. And, and I've, I've seen them the courageous things that they've done. Even when I'm banging away at them in, in, in murder cases on cross-examination, they're great people. How could they drop the ball on this one and say, we have no evidence, but we conclude this anyway? But where was, where was the any evidence that? that they dropped? You didn't, you didn't expand on that. You didn't, I mean, uh, my yes, opinion. I actually, I did at, at great length. In, okay, but be, why I held the symposium. It was a four hour presentation. Okay, but maybe, maybe you'll be able to give us some points of why you think this was a homicide. But let me just say this. From the information on the 911 call, I don't have access to the case folder. However, they were able to interview at least four people, three or four people that were 
present during that 911 call. And her behavior was obviously paranoid. You heard Michael Pack say, you're freaking me out. That was the person that brought her. He's a convicted sex trafficker, and he knew she was on a 911 call. And you think he told the truth? No, no. But but but, but the, the, the phone call was recorded. So he said to her, "Come on, let's go." You hear? You hear? Uh, what's his name? Um, uh, Joseph Brewer say. Joseph Brewer say. You know, it's time to go. So all of these things are going on now. I characterize what I heard on that 911 call as an extremely paranoid person, perhaps. Uh, intoxicated by drugs or alcohol. I don't know, but uh, but maybe you could point out, you're saying it's a homicide. Prove it to me. Tell me what points that you talked about in the symposium that you say would, would lead us to believe that it's a homicide that was covered up. Mr. Ray, hold the, hold that thought. Folks, I want you uh, to, miss, uh, the symposium that Mr. Ray hosted the other night costs a lot of money. He has a GoFundMe up, www.gofundme.com forward slash F forward slash list dash Magdalene. So if you could contribute to that, I could go on, search that site and contribute to uh, Mr. Ray's GoFundMe. Uh, he's seeking justice in this case. Okay, Thanks. Mr. Ray. It's, go it's called Magdalene Dismas Society. It's named after St. Mary Magdalene, who was a prostitute. And it's named after St. Dismas, the good thief on the cross. So the two heroes are a prostitute and a thief. And... <laughs> That's we we're asking you to contribute to help those kind of people. So thank you. Uh, but but as far as the uh, the evidence, we took a, clips from the uh, from the 23 minute phone call that Shannon made, and we put them up. And we explicated them against what had been put up uh, by the police department when they showed they put up their show. And I think you'll be very thoroughly convinced if you look at it as to the real evidence that does exist that you're wrong about what you said. Maybe you said it in good faith, but you're wrong. You're buying into the police line. And, and so can, you point, out, can okay? you point out something where you think I was wrong? Because I listened to it. I can, I will. I'll be glad to point it out to you. First of all, her very first statements, when she comes into the house, she's in Brewer's house, and we, we think that she had just come into the house when she makes that call because Brewer, she's in the main room. If Brewer was there in the main room, she, she wouldn't have been saying someone is after me. He would have been there, right there. So that's not the one she's talking about. She repeats it six times. Someone is after me. Later on, she said, they are trying to kill me. They, not someone, but they. She moves from someone who chased, was chasing her to they who we, if you listen to the enhanced voice tapes that we have, which the police department did not have and still do not have. You would hear the male voices in the background that don't belong there. You would even hear male voices saying things that other people, you, you, they, they weren't Brewer and they, they weren't Pack. But more important, and there's so much more than what I'm saying, but listen to it carefully. Is this a girl who's paranoid? Do paranoid people always speak politely like she did to everybody in that, in that tape? She was very polite to everybody. And if you assume that someone really was after her, everything she said made sense. If you assume, and it's an assumption without any evidence, that she wasn't being chased by anybody against all the evidence, then you think she's paranoid. But, all but, but don't you think that uh, these people were thoroughly interviewed by, uh, by the investigators in the police department? Completely the opposite. They were not thoroughly investigated. Michael Pack, for example, a convicted 
uh, a human trafficker who spent time for a felony in California for, for sex trafficking. Michael Pack was interviewed once by the police department. And uh, when he took a lie detector test, he fell asleep during the test. And they, they and that's all they did with him. Inconclusive. And then and then and then what what he said is he claimed that he left from that site and went to Queens on Horace Harding Boulevard and went to a Dunkin' Donuts and met up with another driver who he was supposed to take money from, buy some kind of a green dot card and send the money to the organization that was sponsoring this whole event. That man, the police said, well, we corroborated Michael Pack's testimony. And how did they corroborate it? They talked to Michael Pack, a, 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 a inherent liar about many, many things. I took his testimony twice uh, and he's, he, he lied about so many things and I could catch him on it. But besides that, I interviewed the man that he was supposed to have met to buy the money, uh, to buy the green dot card to, to deposit the money. I found the guy. He was in Miami. I talked to him. The police never interviewed him. They did not interview people like they were supposed to do. Completely the opposite. So you're going to tell you guys me. Know, you guys gonna... know that when you, you have a bad, a bad guy that's doing something wrong and you're in it, you, you, you arrest the guy and you roll him up. With, they never did that with PAC. They let him go. They let Brewer go. Here, here they are trafficking interstate. That girl came from Jersey City. Trafficking in, interstate prostitution. And they did not arrest either one of them. Mr. Ray, you're saying that as of today, with Rodney Harrison as the police commissioner at the time when this whole case developed and moved forward to the arrest stage, no, these people have not been interviewed. Is that what you're saying? That's the statement you're making? You got it. Okay. I mean, I find that rather unusual. Based yeah, I, on, Phil, I just want to yeah. put something up on the screen. I have something to ask Mr. Ray. This is um, Michael Bodden's autopsy report. Right. Uh, toxicologic analysis was able to be performed on skeletal muscles and contents of the cranial cavity. No drugs or of, of abuse, including cocaine, were found. The death certificate was issued as cause of death undetermined, manner of death undetermined. Shannon's mother told me that her daughter had been in good health, no surgical procedures, no hospitalization, that she did use cocaine sometimes. Is my opinion based on the circumstances of Shannon's death and on the materials that I have reviewed? Um, I'm sorry, that the materials that I have reviewed that there's no evidence that she died of a natural disease, of a drug overdose, or of drowning. There is insufficient information to determine a definitive cause of death, but the autopsy findings are consistent with homicidal strangulation. I don't know how he came to that conclusion when he he contradicts himself. He agrees with the medical examiner, but then he contradicts himself and calls it homicidal strangulation. I don't know how he came to that conclusion at all, based on agreeing with the Suffolk County medical examiner and then taking a complete left turn and saying it, it appears to be homicidal strangulation. Again, can you explain? I, look, I'm, I'm not. I, I, this really should be asked of Baden. I don't know how he. No, you could ask it of me, because I did the autopsy with Baden. Okay. Uh, and and I was there through the whole thing, uh, and and I was completely aware of his report before it was issued. And then I also held a press conference as he did, as to his report. So I'm familiar with his report. And uh, Michael Biden, read it carefully, and you'll see that there's no consistency whatsoever. The uh, overall circumstances of the body itself 
and where it was found and the way it was found, it was impossible to determine whether or not from the other circumstances that the death was homicidal. But because the hyoid bone was fractured in the neck, and we were able to see that and look at it. It doesn't uh, say that in the report that it's fractured. It says it's just dislodged and the larynx is missing. Yeah, no, he, he actually said it was fractured. And, and if Put it you up, also read, he also it's, said it's up, here it is. It's, it's up in the last paragraph, uh, last sentence. However, the larynx was missing and only the body of the hyoid bone was found. The two greater horns of the neck bone were missing. These structures, the larynx and the hyoid bone, are often fractured uh, during homicidal manual strangulation. My examination of the recovered body of the hyoid bone after it had been anthropologically defleshed, showed a roughness at the margins where the separated horns had been attached. That's that's his what he concluded. Correct. And he also goes on to say, if you look at it, that the it the death is not consistent with natural causes. Uh, and yeah, he and says it, there's no evidence of natural drowning or of. There's no evidence that she died of a natural disease, a drug or overdose, overdose or, drowning. or drowning. Yeah. All right. And and so. But the next sentence, there is insufficient information to determine a definitive cause of death. Right. Now, that's where he's agreeing with the, the Suffolk County autopsy, the medical examiner. No, and he's he says, not. But the, no, well, he's that's, not. that's, that's what the original autopsy sentence detective, he says, but the autopsy findings are consistent with homicide strangulation. But he, he's so agreeing he with the original part. autopsy report. The original autopsy report said it was... Not definitive. Uh, is definitive, not definitive is not the same as not. It's not the same as we don't know. It's just not definitive. He's not there to determine something that he can't determine. He can only determine with what he has. But it's not it's it's not definitive, but it's consistent with homicidal. There's one other thing that has That's to not be the only out. evidence in this case. That's just one piece of evidence. Okay, but in in his report, he states that not all the bones were recovered. So the, the skeletal remains were there. Uh, the body had been there for about 20 months, went through six or you seven seasons. I don't know seasons. if they were there. It was there for 20 months. They, they, the police flew a helicopter over on May 3rd. He, she disappeared on May 1st. They flew it over on May 3rd. They didn't see anything. They then had a Black Hawk FBI uh, helicopter with infrared devices in it to fly over that marsh in 2011, and they didn't see her. So we don't even know how long she was there. Just like yeah, we but, don't even but know as you know, other bodies were there. You know better than I. I haven't been to the location. There's very, very high brush there. So for a body to be, uh, you know, obscured from the sky, I don't think would be uh, much of a stretch. With infrared, with infrared devices to find them, I disagree. Yeah, but infrared is only going to pick up heat. If the body's in the in the in the marsh for a period of time, there's not going to be any heat. The, the, the victim will lose the body temperature in hours. No, it won't, because what will happen is it may be the body temperature as it was, but those bones were exposed. I saw them. The top part of the bones were white from the sun. The bottom part were green from laying in the marsh. Okay. So so, so that's not accurate. But wait, 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 wait a second. How could you say that it's not going to be accurate, that it's not going to – a human body is 98.6 degrees – and if it's in the water within an hour or two, it, it's going to drop and, and in the yeah, cold air. And it probably went up and down the body temperature along with decomposition over the period of 20 right. months. So, I mean, listen, the point I was trying to make was not all of the remains were recovered, obviously. Some of the clothing was scattered. There was a lot of different things. And the clothing wasn't scattered at all. That's not accurate. What happened is her jeans were found with her pocketbook, 
her cell phone, um, a perfume bottle cap, and um, some money in her wallet. They were found in a circle right behind Dr. Peter Hackett's house about a quarter to a third of a mile away from the body. Nothing else was scattered. There were just genes that were left there. So that's not accurate either. You got to know the facts. If you want to talk so, on these things, you got to know the facts. Are you saying that the, the, the clothing wasn't found with the body? The, the only clothing found with the body, she was wearing a white blouse, as, as Barbara Brennan testified. She saw her very clearly in the daylight and before Shannon disappeared. And Gus Coletti identified her as having a white blouse on as well. And, they but, both but, and the jeans were found jeans. some other location from where the body was found. The genes were found in a different location. Just yeah, so, so Mr. Ray, based on uh, on Michael Bodden's report, he wrote, she was still wearing deteriorating fragments of clothing, a white or tan shirt, black brassiere, thong panties, and blue denim jeans. That's in Bodden's report. That's incorrect. Okay. The blue denim oh, then he, he's incorrect uh, here, but he could be incorrect in other parts of his report. That's a favorite line correct. of attorneys. Because yes. if this is incorrect, he made lots of mistakes then. He made did you read this? Hold on, hold on, Mr. Ray. Did you read this for accuracy? You said you worked on it with him. I did. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't write the document. It's only three pages long. If there's mistakes in a three-page paper by a former New York City medical examiner, that I have questions about the accuracy of this entire report. Okay, so you say because he mentions the blue denim jeans, which were found elsewhere, his entire report is wrong, right? Well, That's yeah, yeah. Because you worked on it with him and you read it and you you said you went worked it on it with him. So now you're saying we're wrong about reporting the clothing and it's right in this report. And you said you worked on it with him. Yeah, I did, but I didn't work. I didn't write the report. I yeah, didn't. but you should have read it over to make sure it's accurate. When over. we're on the stand and attorneys pound the shit out of us for bad reports, that's that's part of being a detective. And this and is a medical doctor. With a 30, you know, 50 year experienced attorney, there's big mistakes in this report. That's that's a mistake, but the, the genes are found. It's also a mistake, Mr. Ray. I don't mean to cut you off, but it's also a mistake that you said when I said that there was clothing scattered, you said, Well, the clothes were found elsewhere and the body was that's what I meant by that. So you said okay. I was incorrect, but I was was I correct? Is that was the clothing found other than where the body was found? One piece of clothing was found. Okay. So 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 that to me. What I said, I think I was correct then that maybe the clothing was strong. Listen, the, the clothing could have been strewn in different uh, areas by many different, uh, you know, avenues, whether it be animal interaction or the, the water itself, uh, all the different seasons. So but I think we could clearly the, the, say that the genes the, 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 the were found. They were pretty intact, by the way, unlike the body uh, the, the, and, and they were found with a pocketbook. And they were about a third to a quarter of a mile away from her in the marsh. So, you so can't really, really rationally say, and if you've ever, I walked the marsh three times. You can't say anybody that's reasonable could say that those clothes somehow were separated by water or by some other natural action. And how those about an animal interaction? Purpose. How about an animal interaction? That, that's you think not the animals took the pocketbook? They they like pocketbooks and 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 the whole set of jeans and and dragged them a third of a mile away and dumped them together with with the cell phone. What are you talking about? Come on! Wait wait wait! Hold on a second! Hold on a second! If an animal is is I hate to even use this description out of respect for Miss Gilbert, but if an animal is eating uh, the flesh of a human body, 
very likely it could be uh, strown that far away. Very likely. In, in the marsh where there's all these reeds and, 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 and bramble bushes, they managed to take the jeans off the legs, complete intact, and take the pocketbook with the cell phone in it <laughs> and the wallet and take them together and dump them in a little circle a third of a mile away from behind Dr. Hackett's house. That's your belief? Wait, wait. I didn't say that, that was my belief. I said it was one of the possibilities, but also that's not a possibility. That's she, an absurdity. She, I don't think it's an absurdity, but she could have taken the clothes off when she was running through the marsh, dropped the pocketbook. I mean, there's a lot of different- Why would she do that, detective? If Why she was having that? some type of a, a delusion going on. So she what, what evidence do you have that she was having a delusion? The 911 call. The 911 call shows she's delusional. Listen to it yourself. I did. I you did. did. And she's she, a delusional she, person. F f just listen to what she asked. She's quite paranoid. Rational at all times. She's not paranoid in the least if she's being chased. She has a Sophie's choice. Go stay inside and have them kill her there or run away and have them kill her outside as she tries to escape. So uh, you, your contention is that those people were going to kill her, some other people other than Brewer and Pack, and they allowed her to get on the phone and call, talk to the police for 23 minutes on a 911 call. That no, I think is quite her. absurd. She That's absurd. To do that. She, 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 they didn't allow her to do that. There's not a scintilla of evidence. Would, would you, would you allow someone that you're going to kill, call 911 or talk on a phone for 23 minutes? Come on. That's absurd. That's not absurd. She's on the yes, phone. It is. No, it's not. When she goes into the house, she's alone. And he, and you can tell because she's whispering, trying to tell the 911 operator. For 23 minutes. She didn't do that for 23 minutes, sir. She was on the she ran away for 23 she was in the minutes. house first. And, and then Brewer shows up and there's a struggle. If and I'm going to kill somebody, I'm not allowing to make any phone calls. They, went, they, they, they showed a tape to the, the public and they eliminated the struggle between her and Brewer and whoever else was there. They took it away. They cut it out of the tape when they... They played the tape for the for the. Uh, uh, Mr. Ray, I just want to ask something here now. You think that's that that shows she's paranoid? If, if you're being chased by, the, by somebody and you're scared out of your wits, what wait, do wait. you do? What, listen, she she, she if scared out of how many if, prostitutes do you know that call nine one one? I don't know any prostitutes. All right, that very clear. Other than when I was on the police force, Mr. Ray, hold on. Let me change. Let me change course on this. This is a big question. Is Rex Ewerman involved in? What you say is Shannon Gilbert's murder. There's no way to be sure of that. What what originally I thought was there was no evidence of that. And if there's no evidence, I try to be guided by the evidence, not by these wild surmises of what she might have been. And instead, I look for the evidence. There was none. However, a woman came forward who, who was vetted by myself and Rodney Harrison, who's a dyed-in-the-wool detective, and we vetted her for, I vetted her a while first, but then together we vetted her for two hours. And she's a taxi cab driver with no interest in the case and she's remained anonymous, so she's not looking for fame. And she said that that she was able to establish that Shannon Gilbert was with Rex Hurman in the Sable Motor Lodge and she was scared stiff out of her wits and called the taxi to get her out of there. And she got out of there. I have other women who came forward who also uh, encountered Rex Hoyerman in similar situations, and he let them go as well. So it's not like this is the only time he's ever done that. He called hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, according to the DA himself, of sex workers in the last two years before he got caught and hundreds before that. And he let plenty of them go. He let Shannon Gilbert go. She escaped by running out of the bathroom and bolting into the taxi cab. 
That taxi cab driver saw him and recognized him. He showed up again in her life. Has so she, she made was, a statement to the police? Has she, has she been was. interviewed? She Sorry? made a statement to the police? Who, yes, she did. The, the taxi cab driver? Yes. She okay. gave an so I guess then they can vet what she met said. Met me for two hours. But, Mr. Mr. Ray, I just also want to just clarify. That, that's just some of the evidence. There's other if, evidence as well. If Rex Ewerman was involved on May 1st, the, the night that Shannon uh, Gilbert disappeared into the marshes right. there, wouldn't other people have identified him as having been there? Not necessarily at all. There's a bunch of people here that are covering it up. And, and, and they've been identified. I mean, listen, go by the evidence. You take, take for example, uh, Mr. Mr. Gus Coletti, okay? Gus Coletti, uh, he's no bargain, this guy, if you look at his background. But in any event, when she knocks on his door, after she runs through the marsh and then knocks on his, and that runs, runs on the street and knocks on her door, he then says that she was screaming, help me, help me, help me, help me, screaming, and that he politely let her in, in. He opened the door, let her come in the house. She came in the house and then he called 911. And she, when she saw him calling 911, she bolted. That would support something that sounds irrational, right? That would support that paranoia to me. It wasn't true. Why isn't it true? Not because John Ray says it, but, but all you have to do is listen to the tape and you will see that none of that ever happened. She never screamed once, help me. Never. From the minute she ran from a blood curling, curdling scream till she knocked on Coletti's door, she never called out a word. And we have the tape to prove it. And when she knocked on his door, he confronted her. He didn't invite her in. He said to her, don't get yourself hurt. You guys have been in the business long enough to know that's a threat. All right. And then she said, you... Wait, don't get yourself you, hurt is a threat? Yeah. yeah, yeah that, yeah, that sounds you like being... You never dealt with the mafia, buddy? Say again? You never dealt with the mafia? That's not a threat? Wait, wait don't get yourself hurt. Yeah, don't you get yourself that hurt. Coletti said that? Or someone... say to a, Coletti said that to what he said was a 14-year-old girl. Okay? Don't get yourself... So it sounds don't like he was looking hurt. out for her best interest. That's her best does interest? It, so Does so it sound he, like... It doesn't sound like a fourteen-year-old girl. And a fourteen-year-old girl is knocking on your door at five o'clock in the morning, and you're at saying five o'clock in the morning. Don't get yourself hurt. That. And then she says, "You, you, it's you. Are you going to kill?" And then she's cut off. If but the cops don't have that because they never enhanced the tapes. We did. The cops never did it. They still haven't done it. Have you had access to the case folder, to the homicide case folder? No, of course not. So you don't you don't know what they did and didn't do then? Yes, I do. Because statement. Sergeant Portella told me when he delivered the tapes to me, he told me I he, he was ordered by the court not only to give me the tapes, but the, and the original, by the way, he was also ordered to give me all the other materials that they had used in connection with it, including the enhancement of the tapes and including the transcript of the tapes. When he came to this office where I'm sitting now on a weekend to deliver these to me. And I caught up with him here at my office. He came in and I said to him, where are the, the, uh, these other items? He said, we never made a transcript and we never made a tape. Okay. But and, based then, on a lot of the things right, that you're talking. saying, then, you're then making I statements about this case. That, he said to me on the original tape, we don't have it. We never had it. Meanwhile, yeah, but if you didn't see the case, the you earlier said they were representing to the police department, uh, to, to the courts, they were representing that they had the tape and they weren't releasing it when they never had it. The state okay. police had it. But they you, lied. you, 
you just said you never saw the case folder, and I, I would hope that would be the case. And with that statement earlier that you said I'd that- I'd love to have you on a witness stand, buddy. No, no, but you I said that- Wait, wait, hold on a second. You, you said- You don't get it. You said earlier that certain people weren't interviewed, and you knew that for a fact, but you didn't see the case folder, so you don't know that to be true. And now you I make a statement about the tape. I you don't know if they advanced it now or not. Uh, I relied on Sergeant Portella, okay? He's their sergeant. He was in charge of the investigation. That's what You don't know what the Suffolk County District Attorney's Office did at this point. You you, you can't make that statement. You know what I know? I know that on May 13, 2022, the chief lieutenant of the the homicide that that put up the, uh, the show for the press did not have the enhanced tape. Lieutenant Byra. He did not have the enhanced tape. When you listen to his tape, it is missing everything that I just said. But you can hear that on the tape very clearly. That's what she said. Now, she said that because she encountered somebody she knew. It was either Coletti himself or somebody with Coletti. Now, you, how do you explain that? How do I explain that she was yeah. having a conversation with a, a third person other than Coletti or or uh, what's his name? Uh Brewer? Is that what you're saying? You're asking no, me? No, that's not what I said, Detective. Okay, what are you asking me? When she knocks on the door of Coletti and he confronts her, he doesn't invite her into the house. That was untrue. She wasn't crying, help me, help me, help me. That was not true. He did not call 911 and then she ran away. That was not true. Well, who's, who stated these things? Who stated these things? Coletti said this. He said it four times. Okay, He's but you on the media saying it, and he whoa, said it to me. And then he, just because it was said in the media doesn't mean it doesn't mean that it's true. We want to know what's in the case folder. No, this is Coletti. This is what Coletti said. I don't care what he said weeks after he's interviewed. I want to know what he said when he talked to the police. You know, well, I couldn't tell you what he said to the police. Ah, there we go. There, there we you go. go. So, the police, there we so go. you just imagine that the police have something that he didn't say four times to the press. What That's I'm imagining crazy. is this. I think it's very hard to believe you that would never convict Suffolk County has 11 bodies in Gilbert Beach area, and uh, the cases not, are, are it's a labeled as a serial not killer really. homicide, but they decided they're not going to put Shannon. Wait, 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 wait. Do you really? They're not going to put Shannon Gilbert's case into, into the case. You would never get anybody convicted with that kind of a stupid attitude. Honestly, whoa, stupid attitude. Wait, yeah, that, that, I that, 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 why am I coming up with a stupid attitude? You're, you're ridiculous. Listen well, to point the, it out. Where am I ridiculous? Okay, you're you are <laughs> where? So, so say, tell me where I'm ridiculous. You're ridiculous Ray. in saying that Coletti managed to say something else to the police department than he I said. I don't know what he said. To, to, the, you know, and you never know what he said to the press. I'm concerned over again. You talk, guys. Let's let's shift gears. Let's shift gears because guys, let's shift gears. Professor, Professor Mike, I'd like you to. Yeah, I think Professor Mike should get out of here. I just had one question. If, one if Shannon, question, I hope so, because this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Go ahead. Oh, that's uh, not fair. Uh, that's, that uh, please, not fair. let's not act like this. Um, I just had Wait a question. How about you tell him not to act like this? He cut me off every time he asked me a question. Okay. Now, go ahead. Uh, who wanted Shannon Gilbert dead that night, and why would they want to kill her? That is a good question. Who would want to kill her? Anybody that wanted to have a party with Shannon Gilbert had the potential to kill her. She was hired by an organization to do this. She was not hired by Joe Brewer. There's not a scintilla of evidence, including Joe Brewer's own word, that shows that Brewer hired her. He insisted he never paid her a penny. Under oath, I've taken his testimony twice. You ought to respect some of this, what I'm talking about, instead of talking over me. I didn't, I didn't talk over you. All right, but, but the other guy right. did. 
right? All and I asked was Joe, Joe had Brewer, motive to kill her. Michael Pack said there was no money exchanged, okay, for that night. But And Shannon Gilbert only talked to Joe Brewer for three minutes on a telephone when she was in New York. Okay. Three minutes maximum. There's no way they made that arrangement in three minutes for her to come out there for three hours, a very unusual amount of time for a sex worker. So and, and, and in fact, we know that 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 not only did uh, Pack say it, Brewer said it, but there's other evidence that the, the that they were working for a sex trafficking organization. That organization was paid. Now, what were they paid for? And and you, so you don't really know what what motivated Shannon to Gilbert to go there in the first place. But one thing is pretty clear. I know sex workers. I've met hundreds of them over the course of years uh, and and in this investigation. And and indeed, one thing I know is clear. They don't go to work in far places without getting paid first, nor do their drivers or their pimps. And in this case, they would have been paid to go there beforehand. What for? For a three hour tryst way the hell out on Long Island in a, in a, in a, in a, a, a secret area like that? That's not likely. Something else was going on there. Was she hunted? She went, according to, according to uh, uh, Joseph Brewer, she went to go get playing cards at three o'clock in the morning at a CVS. Playing cards? For what? To play a game with whom? One person? That doesn't make any sense. That's Mr. Just, Ray, did you, did, you depose, did you depose every witness at Oak Beach? Just about. And how many witnesses were... I'll give you one. One, The last person to claim he saw Shannon Gilbert after she knocked on Barbara Brennan's door was Justin Canning. His father and mother lived across the street, Thomas Canning, from Mrs. Brennan. Canning's wife was a, uh, a nurse with Peter Hackett's wife. She got a uh, Hackett's wife got her the job. They're very closely knit community. Justin Canning was a best friend of Charlie Hackett. And of Sal Aversano's son, he lived next door to, to Brennan. He died of an overdose of heroin. Justin Canning was a heroin dealer, an addict. And Justin Canning went with his father when Barbara Brennan saw the knock on the door, heard the knock on the door and saw Shannon very clearly through her window. She called Thomas Canning to come over and help her. Thomas Canning came with his son, Justin. He lied about that and said he went alone. His son, Justin said, and I took his testimony, he said that they saw Shannon Gilbert and she was disheveled. And he told that to the New York Post reporter who reported it dutifully. So I interviewed Justin Canning. Guess what? The police to this day never interviewed Justin Canning. And Justin Canning got busted in New Jersey after all of this in a heroin uh, bust. And the police could easily have gone there and rolled him up and gotten information from him. And they didn't. They've never interviewed him. He's one of several they never interviewed. They didn't interview the Hackett family. They interviewed only Hackett. And they interviewed him only once, and he lawyered up right away and refused to take a lie detector test. So they didn't interview a lot of people in this case. That's just for starters. Look, uh, Mr. Ray, I, we don't doubt that the initial response to this was was hor horrific. I mean, it, was, it wasn't it uh, was anything close to a good investigation. but. You, you would think that after the fact, after what happened, after her body was discovered, after they discovered in, in connection with her, and she was probably the catalyst that led to them finding the Gilgo 4, that they would have 
done a, a better investigation and interviewed all the people that you interviewed? Sergeant, they didn't. They did not do a better investigation. It never occurred. They shut down the investigation. and to Not this even day, after the task force was formed? Correct. Rodney Harrison? Correct. None of those people have been interviewed. None of them. That's correct. How could you be certain about it? I'm not trying to be like a wise guy, but how could you right. be certain of that? Because I talked to them. And you believe them to be truthful, telling you that they've never been interviewed? Yes. Okay. All right. Well, listen, I think that we're at the point where we're going to agree to disagree about the cause of death with Shannon Gilbert or or whatever happened with her. But, Bill, don't you think we should move on to, let's say, uh, some of the other things like uh, the affiants that uh, Johnny Ray? Yeah, uh, Mr. Ray, we'd like to talk about that if that's okay. Yeah, sure. Just just keep in mind that when the police showed their their May 13, 2022 uh, slideshow uh, to convince the press and therefore the public that Shannon died of an unfortunate tragic accident of which, which they could not identify the kind of accident. They showed us a fake slide showing the marsh parting in the darkness. And and that the the uh, we, the reeds were moving away and it was very dark and she got lost in the darkness because she wandered into the marsh is what they said. Go to the marsh as I did. You will see it is physically impossible to wander into the marsh. And there weren't reeds like that that parted. It is a thicket that's so thick to cut your way through it to get into it in May. In May, before it's even blossomed that greatly, it can take you half an hour to move about three to five feet in it's that much there's no way she wandered into the marsh it's just okay. complete nonsense and they I, I, don't, I, I don't think of the of the marsh when when they showed that that she couldn't have done what they said she did it's impossible and, okay and, i want to go to a quick commercial yeah. and we'll be right back folks if you like real crime true crime from a police perspective then you're in the right place and if you're not subscribed to us go on our youtube Hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, and ring that bell. Share us with your friends and family. And if you want to contribute to us, we have a Patreon with three different levels. And we also have a YouTube channel membership with count them five different levels. I'd also like to uh, you to mention that Mr. Mr. Ray has a uh, – I'm going to put it up on the screen. He has a GoFundMe. Uh, that's the address of it right there, www.gofundme.com forward slash F slash Lisk dash Magdalene, named after uh, Mary Magdalene. And uh, please, uh, that would help uh, cut, defray the cost for Mr. Ray's uh, symposium that he had explaining this case. And even though tonight it seems like we got a little bit heated, this is how we get to the bottom of things. We question each other and at the end of it, we'll shake hands. I hope. <laughs> I hope. But let's go back to this because we have a lot more of the show, a lot more good questions to ask Mr. Ray, and we appreciate him coming on the show and appearing on Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. We're back. Mike, I, I'd like you to ask a question, Mike. You haven't done much in, in the show tonight, and we wanted to talk about some of the affiants, the okay. new evidence that he has in regards to – Perhaps, uh, and I watched some of you, some of the other shows you've been on, Mr. Ray, in regards to um, the potential involvement of Rex Schumann's wife, Asa Ellerup, which just coincidentally or incidentally, the police, and we felt we covered this case uh, from when the arrest occurred with Rex Schumann, 
we felt they cleared Asa Elba way too quickly. And we, we questioned that as to why they didn't keep that case open a little longer, maybe to look a little deeper into it. Uh, so, Mike, I'm going to toss it to you. You yeah. got a question, Mr. Ray? Yeah, I was just looking at the uh, when when you talked about the uh, affidavits, and there was one lady who said that uh, she went. She was a swinger in the 1990s with her uh, boyfriend, who was a, uh, a uh, undercover narcotics officer in the NYPD, and um, she said that uh, at a place called Trapeze, they saw an ad to go to uh, a home in Massapequa Park. And, uh, and so they decided to do that. And then, and this was in 1996. And then um, they picked up a girl in Manhattan, I think, something like that. And they identified her as um, Karen Vergata. Um, now, I just want to know, how, how did they, you know, identify her as Karen Vergata? How did that uh, identification take place? Because that's a huge thing. It, and uh, it was from many, many years ago. It was from 1996. So how did they? How did they, that affiant make the uh, identification? Well, that's a good question, and and the answer is that that's this very modest lady uh, came forward and uh, spoke about what you just mentioned, and she did not identify Karen Vergata as Karen Vergata. What happened okay. was she was watching the the unfolding of the case on TV, and she recognized Hurman Hoyerman. Uh, right away as the the uh, uh, partner uh, in this uh, swapping situation. And um, she went with him, the detective, to Massapequa Park from Manhattan. And they had picked up this young girl who sat in the car and she identified a very peculiar thing. She said the girl sat in the back seat and she leaned forward and to the side and she couldn't. That, that was her posture. And what she didn't know was that Karen Vergata had been in a recent car accident uh, that injured her spine. And she was able to point that out without knowing that fact. She also, you know, not only was she very sincere, but uh, she saw she saw Karen Vergata on TV when her picture was posted with, with the Hurman uh, situation. And she immediately recognized her and said, and she broke down. That's why she called me. She was really, really upset. She broke down because she remembered that was the girl that she was with that night. She didn't use her name. She didn't know her right, name. Right. Okay. All right. Um, she also said when they got to a gas station, the girl was very scared and was crying and had, was very dirty and uh, was unkempt and, uh, and, and very hungry. So she said, don't worry when you get there, uh, we'll get you food and you can take a shower. And the, the girl had just gotten out of, apparently had just gotten out of the jail and had called her father. It was on Valentine's Day that she called her father. We know that for fact. Um, and this, this girl who came forward said it took, this situation took place on or about Valentine's Day. I'm not sure it was Valentine's Day, but it was right around that time. Okay. So there was consistency in a lot of this. When she gets there um, with, with the Vergata and her boyfriend, uh, Vergata goes with with uh, the boyfriend downstairs with Horyman, and she assumes that Horyman is that her boyfriend is having sex with Horyman uh, because they went both ways, and uh, she doesn't see the girl after she disappears, but she's with Mrs. Ellerup upstairs, and right. Mrs. Ellerup makes her a drink, uh, 
she she then is able to she mentions details that you wouldn't mention if you're making up a story like this you know okay. I, I vetted her for almost nine hours before I, I produced her for the police detectives and then we vetted her myself and two detectives for another almost two hours on these these issues so it's not like she just made this up and ran out at the last minute and came up right. with a story um but she pointed out some other interesting things um and that was that uh the girl was when they were about to leave uh they left in a different car than they came so she said on the one hand she remembered vaguely that that they had taken the phone number for Hoyerman off the wall at La Trapeze where there were a lot of police officers and a lot of people from Long Island. But she also said since they met, they left in, in uh, a different car than they came, she also began to believe that Hoyerman and this, and her boyfriend knew each other already when this all happened. Hoyerman went out in the backyard in a big, big uh, barrel started a fire at one o'clock in the morning. And this girl, when they got in the car to leave, she wasn't with them and she was in the window and then right. she right. runs out naked in, in front of the garage. She mentions the garage and she's upset. The girl's upset. She, and the witness says to the boyfriend, Hey, what, what are we doing? Can we help the girl? And they, and the witnesses don't worry. They're playing a game. Let, let it be. It's no big deal. It's no problem. But then he, he remembered that he had left his belt behind and he went back to get the belt. And when he comes back in the car, that's when she sees the girl running naked in the front right this is in february in in, in, two, in 1996 so she's not going to remember every detail but there are no. some peculiar details that she remembers and one thing she remembered which is is interesting anyway is that she asked she asked uh, uh if 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 uh mrs elrup wanted to have sex with her she would give her sex and elrup turned her down and the witness thought it was because the witness was African-American. She didn't know, but that's what she believed. Well, then Macedonio, Robert Macedonio, the lawyer for Mrs. Elrop, goes on national television. And when he's confronted with these facts that I've just laid out, he says, Mr. Ray, can't, he, it can't be right. It can't possibly have happened because, he said, uh, Mrs. Elrop was pregnant and wouldn't have had sex. Well, we know you could have sex when you're pregnant, but... It, you don't want to have it very often as well. We get that too. But it was now an explanation that was consistent with what happened that night. Okay. And and that's an interesting fact. There was another interesting fact that threw the detectives off, I think. And that was that she gets the drink, the alcoholic drink. And when we asked her where did it come from, she said there was a little bar over to the left in the main house. And it was either a rolling bar or she couldn't remember what, you know, what was 30 years ago what kind of a bar it was, but there was something there. And I, I inferring from the way the police discussed it was th that there was no bar when they were in that house. But I found a, an, a um, email from Mrs. Elrup in 2010, where she's talking about that they were making res um, renovations inside the house. And so it's possible in 30 years that they eliminated that bar. Then she pointed out another thing, which is peculiar. And she said that, on the shelf in the main room, there were two conch shells. And she said, is that from my, she's Caribbean. Okay. She said, oh, those look like they're from my country. She remembered that peculiar fact. Now, I don't know if the police seized two, two conches, you know, 30 years later or not. But one thing I did notice that in the backyard, 
of the house, when we saw pictures of the police taking things out, there was a huge uh, ceramic-like uh, statue of a tropical fish, a motif consistent with the conscious. Okay. I, I don't know if that matters. I mean, it's a, it's not dispositive proof. I get that. But everything she said was pretty consistent with the, the entire story. It, it helps. Right. right. There's right. two things in that story that absolutely are vettable. And one is if it was Karen Vergata and Karen Vergata had just gotten arrested, what there is a, a record of that. Was sure. that checked? Was yes. it checked that she was arrested around that date? Number two. Yes, it was. The New York City narcotics detective, the NYP, do we know who he is? Yes, we do. And has he been interviewed? I don't know if the cops interviewed him or not. I gave the information and the name to, to them to do that. Uh, I did find the guy's name and I found, and I did do the search. I found his pictures. She identified him and she was very clear about who he was. And more importantly, I found his name and him. It was him in the New York times twice reported for raping another girl and for abusing another girl, sexually abusing another girl. So that's the guy. So and, did you, you ever interview, him, did you Ray? ever interview him? No, okay. no. I'm, I'm not the cops. These people come to me. They they give me the information. I offer it to the police. And the interesting thing is that over the course of years, when nobody was doing this work except for Sergeant Portella, I put together a binder of all the depositions that I had taken. I've taken over 22 depositions in this case of witnesses. And I, I, put, I took all the contradictions and compared them. I did an analysis. I did all the other, uh, I have tapes and I did it, had transcripts made of the tapes, did an enormous amount of work, put it all together in 2015. And we offered it through a former Suffolk County police homicide detective retired. We offered it to the police and they rejected it. They refused to accept it. They turned it away. Has and the new, uh, has the new task force accepted it after, uh, Rodney Harrison came on board? Yeah. Yes. I gave it to them. Now, okay. I don't know what they did with it, but um, I also had her cell phones, all of her cell phones and her laptop. The police refused to accept them from us. We had them. We had them. We had entered into them. We had tested them and we were willing to give that what we had up to them. They refused it. They only took it when Rodney came here with with um, uh, Lieutenant um, uh, Byra and, and I gave it to them when they were sitting here in this room. So, Mr. Ray, could I mean, you just go over again? How did how did your affiant know that it was Karen Vergata from a photo? Yeah, she saw a photo of her on TV, and she said she recognized her immediately. She had very thick hair; she had a lot of hair, and and uh, she 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 broke down crying. She couldn't believe it. She said, "That's the girl." One one of the photos that was circulated of Karen Vergata, she was very young, so that's why I was a little uh, puzzled. But yeah, that picture there. Yeah. Do you believe that's the picture that she identified? I don't know. I don't okay. know which one she saw. There were two or three pictures of her. They're, they're similar. I mean, you can see she's a little older, but in some of the pictures, but they're similar enough. But she cool. she she recognized it. That's what she said. She said that's okay. the girl. I, I remember it. Now listen, she she could be not imagining it. She could be making it up. She could be a lot of things. But there's evidence. I gave the evidence over to them, and and that you know, and that woman has never been contacted again by the police department. And I know that that of the other witnesses that I had, uh, only because Rodney himself vetted the the taxi driver, the cops took her to, to see if she could point out the sites that she visited 
when she met Hoyman, and she was able to do that. They never called her again. I gave them a, a girl in Oklahoma who testified to me, a, a sex worker, that he pulled a gun. Three different people said that Rex Hoyman pulled a, a, had a handgun, and one of them shot. He shot at one of them. I gave them, uh, the police, all their names and all the information I had. Not one of them has been contacted, to my knowledge, zero. And and this is bothersome because I thought they were going to, you know, clean up the Iraq on this, but I don't, I'm not getting that impression. Um, that would be. I, myself, I and my family were stalked and and harassed uh, and threatened before Hoyman was arrested, before we knew about him twice. And and I have the evidence to prove it. I we even tape recorded the voice of the woman who made the threat, part of the threat. And three times I wrote to them and said, can you guys please investigate this and let me know what's what? They've never called me. They've never even called me. You know, me. Mr. Ray, I just wanted to mention Ray Tierney, obviously the Suffolk County DA now. There seemed to be a little bit of friction between he and Rodney Harrison, especially around the time that Rodney Harrison met with you and had that press conference. Has Ray Tierney ever contacted you? Ray and I are friends. Uh, I've been friends with him for many years. He was, when he was a DA, uh, assistant DA, I knew him, didn't know him well, but I became friends with him uh, or associated with him when I went after a lawyer, a corrupt lawyer in Suffolk County, very politically connected lawyer with, in, involving sex trafficking as well. And I went after the guy because he stole $1.2 million from a little girl who I ended up representing. And I went, not, none of the, Spoda refused to take the case. Nobody here would take the case. So we went to the U.S. attorney and turned out to be Ray Tierney at the time. And we worked together to prosecute this guy. He went to jail. All right. And so I, I have great high respect for Ray. I've gone to his fundraisers. We're friends. Um, you know, I have nothing against the guy. And he's, he has integrity. He's a good guy. But that doesn't mean the people working under him are giving him the right information. I think that he's, he's got some problems there. And that's but he's, he's running the investigation, though. I mean, he's the boss. Well, you know, he's the boss, but, you know, he's also the guy that runs how many other investigations? You know, when you're the boss on that level, you don't go and do the, the legal detailed work of reading into all the affidavits and, and evidence that cops have. You take the summaries from the people who do it work for you. And that's what he did. And, and I don't have any fault with him whatsoever. But I do have some questions about the people under him who are doing this work. So do you I'm believe, Mr. Ray, that there's still corruption within the Suffolk County District Attorney's Office and the Suffolk County Police Department? Do you believe that? I never thought there was corruption within the DA's office, um, other than, than Thomas Spoda's situation that we know about in Chris McPartland. But as to the detectives who worked in that organization, there was only one corrupt guy who worked there before he became the chief of police that I know of, and that was James Burke. But there's no question he corrupted the police department. And and maybe, you know, you know, you don't rise like he did. You guys know that you've been in the business. You don't rise up from uh, the street and make it to the, the chief of detectives without other people who are watching you, who are climbing like you are and, and not watching everything you do. This guy, Burke, would show up at police functions with Loretta Rickenbacker, who was an African-American uh, sex worker that he, he managed to have a child with and smoke crack with. You might ask me, how do I know that? Because I was Loretta Rickenbacker's lawyer, right? And so she told me that. 
and he would take her to the police functions and he'd strut her around in her, 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 you know, her, her clothing. And he also had a, a white, uh, uh, sex worker who ran a, a, a sex operation out of his house for 10 years on a beeper and he would strut her around as well. And you mean to tell me that all the cops that saw this didn't try to bring him down? They let him rise. They let him rise because they were corrupt because they had problems. Three detectives out of three white shirts who testified in Spoda's trial all had adulterous relationships going on. You think that they're not corrupt? Well, what do you think about what uh, the, the current state of Suffolk County Police Department and the investigation? What's your opinion of the current state of this investigation? Are you satisfied with it? Right now, it's hard to say, I'll be honest with you. I, I, I'm waiting to see as unfolds, but right, I'm very concerned that that with all this evidence that I've gathered and, and have that nobody's ever reached out. I mean, they, they don't, they didn't like that. Rodney said, Hey, at, on his, in October 18th, when he came to me and said, let's have a press conference. I said, sure. And we held a press conference about the two of the girls, the, the one that you, you just asked me about for, you know, uh, that, that was the, uh, uh, swinger, the swinger. And, and the, and the, uh, and the taxi driver who had no, she wasn't, you know, she wasn't a sex worker or anything like that. When we had that, that uh, press conference on October 18th, that could only have arisen because he trusted me. He, he believed in the evidence that I had. He knew that I was giving them good evidence. And he, he was, you know, Rodney's a man of great integrity. And he, he came forward with that. He's the one that wanted the press conference. He asked for it. So we held it. He endorsed my belief that those two women were credible. And he said to people, look, he understands. Nobody trusts the Suffolk County Police Department anymore after Burke. Would you? Would anybody? And so, especially sex workers and people who don't trust the police for a living? Don't you he think definitely had an obligation to listen to what you had to say when you're bringing forth, you know, you're bringing live people that gave affidavits. So I think he had an obligation to listen to the information and vet it. And if there is evidence related to the Rex Ewerman case, then by all means, include it. 100%. Right. 100%. And he... he, he you know, he said, go to, if you, you're afraid of the police, go to John Ray. And they have. Now, if you know that the police commissioner of Suffolk County said that and you're a member of the task force, doesn't it occur to you to call John Ray and say, hey, what do you got? They have never done that. Mr. Ray, let me ask you a, a, an important question. In your opinion, your experience, do you think they got the right man in Rex Ewerman? Yeah, they have the right man in Rex Ewerman. And they also have the right man in person in his wife, Osa, and his daughter. I didn't put those hairs on those people. You didn't. They're, they're hairs. They grew on their heads and, and they fell off their heads somehow or came off and ended up on, on three dead bodies. You, don't you know, Mr. Ray, I'm, I'm sure you know that uh, every human loses between 50 and 100 hairs a day. and On a dead body? Wait, wait. Hold on. Let me finish. Let me finish. Uh, specifically, women, because the hairs are longer, would be able to entangle into those burlap uh, sacks that the victims were found in. Now, had that been a plastic bag or something of that nature with the elements and everything, it probably would not have been there. But I think because the burlap bags... Uh, the, the construction of the burlap, perhaps the hairs were entangled into it. And that's why they remain with those uh, with those uh, bodies for that period of time. Now, 
listen, we always talk about transfer of evidence. Uh, but let me detect it. Let me ask you something. How do you then explain that that Mrs. Elrup's hair is on the belt? That's because not- her, her, she lived in the home losing 50 to 100 hairs a day. Perhaps it's maybe 20 hairs uh, while she's in the house. Where's and- the son's hair? I'm if sorry. They're all losing, if they're all losing hundreds of hairs a day, and no, it's it's a known fact. Look it up. up on these bodies. Where's the son's hair? Okay. Okay. Where, by the way, where's the brother's hair? Did you know that the brother and two other women lived in that 1,343 square foot house with the with the rest of the family? You, you, you're missing my point. A, a man has maybe shorter hair. Women have longer hair. That's why they were easily entangled into the burlap. I, I'm not saying 100%. I don't know this for fact, obviously. But when we talk about transfer of evidence, you can look it up. Average human hair loss a day is 50 to 100 hairs a day. I, agree. Now, I know that. You're right. And if, obviously, you know that. You're living in the home. You lose 50 to 100 hairs a day. It's not beyond a reasonable doubt that those things could wind up on clothing like a belt or the burlap bags that are in the house. You're right. It could be. And it also could not be. It's not, it's not automatic that we say, okay, this is probably what happened. Therefore it did. Well, that's what for the jury to decide work. No, that's for the cops to decide. So they have enough evidence to convict somebody. And instead we have an application, a, a bail application to a court of law under oath which says these four people are off, uh, these three people are off the hook, the family of, of, of Rex Horyman, because they were in Atlantic City for when, when Maureen Brainerd Barnard's disappeared and the other ones disappeared. First of all, you don't know when they died. You know when they disappeared, approximately. Second, and this guy's a torturer. You don't torture dead girls. You keep them alive so you enjoy it. And, and, and that's what they like to enjoy. So you don't know when they, dis- they they died and you don't know when their bodies were moved to where they were found. So do you re- that these people have an alibi is complete hogwash. Okay, but-, case. but but now we have other evidence that it's hogwash. And on top of that, I ask you this. Don't you think that Mrs. Ellerup and the daughter have some explaining to do about they have explaining to do about why those hairs are found? Two of them on the heads of two of the victims on the heads of two of the victims. Okay, one of them on the belt. Don't you think they have some explaining to do, especially when it appears that Mrs. Ellerup told a falsehood to the district attorney that she was in in Atlantic City when Brandon Barnes disappeared. And in fact, the records are exactly the opposite. But but I'm going to take exception on that, because when you showed in your uh, symposium, you showed the record, it said, Arrival date seven six. Right. So that. that was the arrival date. And then if no, you that wasn't the arrival date, that's Wait, the let, document said that. That's okay, not the arrival date. Okay, let me finish. Let me finish. Right, and, and based on uh, what you showed, some of the transaction dates and the posting dates were different based on the credit card system of those days. Today, you 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 make a charge five minutes later, it'll show up on your statement. But I don't think that. It was just that, that they're hanging their hat on. Like I said, I don't have access to the case folder, but I would imagine that they're not going to say just based on one credit card statement, she's not a suspect in this, especially when you just made the point that her hair was found on on one or two of the victims. I, I think it would be more than that. Uh, easy pass records, cell phone records, uh, perhaps purchases that were made with credit cards, all of those things. Yeah, you're all you're those laughing, things. but Did you, you, have don't, you don't. Have you seen any of them? No, I haven't seen any no, of them. Have you seen the application? Have you read the but application? But I know, I know how the district attorney's office read the, the police department works. 
Detective, have you read the application? Yes, I did. All right. So what did you learn from it? I learned that they believed that she was out of the state or out of the country at the right. times when they believed these when they believed that these victims disappeared. That's what on it what said. Basis did they say they believe that? I'm sorry. On what basis did the district attorney say that they? I, I'd have to go through that. it to say exactly. Well, let but me tell you what it says. Then okay, it said there were two sources for his belief. One was the the August 2007 Bank of America uh, billing record of Rex Hoyman. And that showed the arrival date as you mentioned it, okay? On three hotels that had different arrival dates. Have you ever seen an arrival date on a bill? That's very unusual. But besides that, that's the one thing he said he relied on. And the other thing was Mrs. Ellerup's discussions with him. That's what they relied on. Okay. You're going to rely on Mrs. Ellerup? Well, okay. Here's my contention. Here's my contention. Let me finish. So you go to the, 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 the bill. I go to the bill. Something bothers me because in the application that he makes, they say that uh, that the, the family was away on or about July 6th when when uh, Brandon Barnes disappears on the 9th. On or about July 6th, they were in Atlantic City and on or about July 20th, they left. On or about? You're okay. detected. You don't say on or about for an alibi. It's either on or it's not. Well, these so murders probably, all took. These when murders I all took. The bill, I, I noticed that the that the transaction dates didn't match the arrival date. There was something wrong with that. So I called the hotel and I talked to the manager. Right, I, I and saw she looked that. on the computer screen and she read it off to us and she said that Ellerups arrived on July seventeenth and they left on July twenty third. And she read it off twice and she not only knew the name, which I only gave her Ellerup. She had Asa. And she also had the exact amount that the bill was charged at the end of the bill. She read it off to us twice. We questioned her. I had three witnesses. We questioned her about, was there a possibility that they checked in at another place, another time, another way? She said, absolutely not. This is the record. This is what we have. This is when she checked in. And it did not match that arrival date. That okay, was on but your, let me make this point. Don't, let me you, make this tell point. Me, don't you think they have a little explaining to do? Wait, wait, not, let me make, let me make a point. Let me PA. make a point. Between Ray Tierney and Rodney Harrison, from the beginning of the day of the arrest, they've they've said, and their posture has been that they feel that the family is not involved, meaning Asa or the daughter, because of the hairs being found. Now, in my opinion, and I don't know this because I don't have the case folder in front of me, I would think they would do a lot of due diligence and, and find out for sure, not just based on a phone call with a person at a hotel uh, in Atlantic City. I'm sure that they would follow it up further than that. And if they didn't, shame on them. And I don't think that Ray Tierney would want egg on his face publicly stating that Asa Ellerib is not involved in this. And now Johnny Ray comes up with information and, and puts her in the trick bag for being involved in this. I would think that they would do their due diligence to further vet the information. And I would too, detective. I'm with you 100%. They, I would think that. And they didn't. They're the same guys that, that are saying that Shannon Gilbert wasn't murdered. They didn't do their due diligence. That's the problem. Tierney has to rely on what he's given. And that's what he was given. They didn't do their due diligence. This was the night manager at the hotel I spoke to. It wasn't just some kid. Uh, it was okay, a woman who okay. worked there many years. And she'd worked there back at that time when this all happened. So, she, she, you know, she, she was dyed in the wall. It was just not nobody. But They but didn't do their due diligence. They relied on a document. These are people who sit in front of computers and that's how they do their research. 
they ought to go out and start walking the beat again and doing their job like they used to. If they did that, we'd be in a different spot, wouldn't we? Mr. Ray, let me ask you one last question. What reason would you believe that there is to cover up the murder of Shannon Gilbert? What reason possibly would there be? The the reason is that that there's several reasons. One is that there are culprits that they don't want revealed, number one. And and that traces back to Burke and and his, his cohorts. Number two, there are lazy cops that didn't do their job here. And they didn't do it because these were initially, initially they didn't do it because these were sex workers. And that's clear from the record that I have, that that was their attitude. Then they didn't do it because they just didn't do their job. They didn't go and knock on doors. They just accepted what was there at first without really delving into this thing. And now they're embarrassed and they're humiliated by their own mistakes and their pride gets in the way as it often does with cops. And they start because they they wield authority and you don't want to challenge it. And what happens is they cover it up now. They cover up for one another. They cover up for the mistakes. And they do exactly what you're doing, detective, because you're a cop. You're sitting there saying, oh, the cops couldn't have made mistakes like this. No, no, no. What's wrong? We've we've pointed out on this show. And I'm not anti-cops, so you know, I love cops. Oh, wait, wait. Listen, let let me just make a statement. We've pointed out on this show for the last three years, and Bill's been doing it for about four or five years, that we all make mistakes. And I've made mistakes. And sometimes you have to live up to those mistakes. But- I, I just feel like how could someone at this point be part of a corruption scandal to cover up a homicide, especially when there's 11 other murders in there, four people, uh, the, the Rex human has been charged with four of the murders. I just don't see the reason, but I, I'm going to, I'm going to take your answer that you're giving me. And uh, you know, I could disagree with it, but, uh, yeah. and, and I'm disagreeing based on, the 911 call. I don't know what the interviews of all of the people involved that were interviewed post that 911 call, what they well, said. That's what I'm going to ask you to do. Look, listen to my symposium on that 911 call, and you will have a different opinion, I hope. Okay, I'll do that. Okay. All right. Mr. Ray, I want to just move on. We've been on for a while. I want to ask you some. With a lot of the stuff that you've presented is creating doubt and it can create doubt in the mind of a jury. Are you concerned that the defense for Rex Human could call you as a witness? I'm not concerned about any of that. I tell the truth whenever I can and as much as I can, and I, I'm not perfect, but I'm not afraid of being called as a witness. That'd be fine. But but what, what does bother me is that if the police don't do their job, and, and in the vetting of this situation in the hotel, they did not. Um, if, if they don't do their job thoroughly or more thoroughly, there are going to be problems. Michael Brown is a good lawyer. He's a friend of mine. Oh, he is. Brown is a lawyer for, for, uh, uh, for Rex Hoyerman. Michael, his first uh, jury trial was against me. He beat me, fair and square, many years ago. So I know Michael, and he's a good lawyer. He's going to do the, a good job for this guy, whether the guy deserves it or not. And and you, you don't want to give him... Uh, contradictory evidence that's going to create reasonable doubt. Uh, Mrs. Ellerup's involvement in this whole situation uh, certainly can cause that kind of trouble. So can her daughter's involvement. They have a lot of explaining to do. And, and you can see that, that that's just part of the, that's just the tip of the iceberg when you have other people who have killed other people in the same area. Uh, you know, in Manorville, for example, uh, you, you have, you know, you have other players in this game uh, that if a good lawyer can try to use that to create reasonable doubt. That's not my 
difficulty. I, my job is to do what I'm doing, which is to, to get to the truth. So if it manages to get in the way of the prosecution, that's the prosecution's problem. They need to do something about that. Not me. No, but I'm just saying you could, based on all of this information and the evidence, you could be called as a witness for the defense. And, you know, probably Michael Brown would be uh, remiss if he didn't call you. Maybe. I don't know his strategy, but, but I, you know, I have the evidence that I have. You know, I, I, I've gathered that evidence. It's there. What am I supposed to do? Not use it? Not turn it over? Not, you know, when the, when the cops don't want anybody to know what's going on and they conceal it for 12 years and they, they, they lie to the people and say that they're, they're investigating this case with due diligence and they have only one detective part-time working on the case. And I know that, that Detective Portella is a good guy. He's a, he's a dignified gentleman. And uh, he was working on the case alone for all that time. I knew he was not working full-time on that case. You know how? I had another murder case out east, and he and his partner, Detective Lully, were working on that case at the same time. I, I think but, it's clear. Well, my point to you guys is that 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 for all that time, the, the the police were lying to the public that they were working diligently on the case. They were not, and they lied to the public when they showed a false image of Shannon Gilbert being able to walk into the marsh and other ways that they've lied to the public to cover up their 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 debilities in the work that they did and they're ashamed of it before Rodney Harrison got go away it's they're stuck with the facts and it's my job to get the facts and people want to call me they're welcome to do it and I will still help out and I will still help you know Mr. Ray I would definitely agree with you that the 12 years prior to the task force they had some big problems in Suffolk County even the fact that one person was working the serial killer is it's it's un That's absurd. unthinkable. It's yeah, outrageous right. that that actually happened. And then, of course, you bring Burke into the picture. It's it's ugly. The whole thing is ugly. Sure. And the minute Rodney Harrison, even they had the FBI, the female FBI lawyer that was the PC for a while, you know, you needed a, you needed someone from the NYPD or someone from a big police department to take this over that knew how to establish what they did, a task force, and then things started to happen. But you can't say in the past 14 months or 16 months when the task force was established that they're corrupt. There's no way they're corrupt. Prior, uh, yeah, I'll buy it. I didn't it, say but they're corrupt. I never said they're corrupt. The, the guys that are on the task force, I've never said that. I wouldn't even remotely say that at this point. I don't know that. Uh, if I don't have any inference of it, I don't say it. And I have the record from that hotel, you were claiming they were remiss in doing their duties. They are. That's different than corrupt. Right. You don't, you know, if you're sitting in front of a computer and that's your research and you go home at four 30 instead of working till midnight, like I do, then, then, then maybe you're not doing your job in a case like this. And as I started this case back in 2011 in December, calling for the FBI and the U S attorney to step in and I was ignored. And now we see that this guy is killing people and he's chasing people in other states. Uh, you know, I've had people come forward from Virginia, Philadelphia, upstate New York, uh, who, who have been ch chased by this guy. And, and so it, it's reached far beyond Suffolk County's ability to control this. We need a huge task force from the evidence that I have that reaches to Hollywood, 
uh, Melissa Bartholomew, one of the Gilgo Four, she traveled to Hollywood to be trained by a, a, what they call a bottom girl. You guys know what that is. And, and, and uh, she did, she went there with uh, a, a, a girl named Amanda up in, in, in Buffalo, who I represented her family as well, uh, pro bono to help them on the same case. And they went to California to be trained to, to serve as Hollywood stars, one of whose name I know, and I'm not revealing. They did all of that. And they're connected to California. They're connected to Buffalo. They're connected to Suffolk County. You need a huge task force on a federal level to break this and to break these cases and do them right. It's too local right now. And you need to change that. I, I think that before Johnny, uh, Johnny Ray, before uh, Rodney Harrison got involved in this case, Suffolk County wanted this case to just go away. Basically. That's why they had one detective on it. I think it's uh, egregious that there was only one detective working on, you know, 11 homicide victims. I think Bill just uh, stated that. So with that said, uh, with the current, uh, investigation the way it's going uh, you, you, you're not uh, you, you're not accusing them of corruption but you're not uh, you're not happy with what they're doing but with that hotel receipt I would find it very hard to believe once you put that forward that it wasn't vetted further that they didn't go there and do an interview or- where's their answer detective why aren't they saying John Ray lied John Ray's wrong John Ray made a mistake where are they you know well, take, because- I'll tell you what take their take their two lawyers of the Ellerps, uh family all right Neither one of them came out and said, my client uh, is, is, was there and, and this and, and Mr. Ray's got it all mixed up. Instead, they said they're checking with the hotel to see if th- there is such a record. Why would they do that if their clients didn't were, lot, were telling the truth? They wouldn't need to do that. I, th- I think because, that because, they, they, because they know damn well that their clients are lying. Listen, that's possible based on what you put forward, but I would think that they want to hold the information for trial. Maybe that's why uh, it's not being revealed. But listen, you have your opinion. I have mine about it. I I just feel like if you put something like that in my face and I'm the case detective, I'm going there and I'm going to look at it and I'm going to get the information and I'm going to subpoena the records. That's what I would do. I I would hope they would do that. Listen, I talked to the woman. We didn't tape recorder because I didn't even expect that answer. Right. Right. But but. So and I don't have a printout of the of the of the computer record, but she read it right off the computer twice. So, you know, I report that. And and where's the people coming forward from the Yellow camp saying, nah, that's wrong because of this, that, or the other thing. We were definitely there, and here's how we could prove it. There's other ways to vet so, it though, Mr. Ray. Yeah, there is, but you know what? They claim that Mrs. Ellerp has lost all of our other other records, they're all gone. That's what it says in the application, the bail application. And if you look at the, the bill they do have, you'll notice that the charges don't start to get run up until July 16th. Nothing is charged before that time. Something's wrong with this picture, gentlemen. And somebody ought to come forward and explain, and they haven't done it. It, it could be, but obviously it could be easy. That they'd say that, 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 you know, I'm too colorful, and I like, I, 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 uh, I, I'm looking to be relevant. You're right, I'm looking to be relevant. Who wants to be irrelevant? You know anybody? No. <laughs> Good question. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and we acknowledge that you being involved in this case, 100% kept this case in the forefront. And that's probably one of the reasons that the task force was even formed, that you were in there, you know, going to the media, staying on top of Shannon Gilbert's uh, 
case and, and trying to get uh, investigations done. There's no question about that. I just think there's a difference of opinion. And we're going to see what other stuff they did with regard to those hotel records. I mean, like I said, easy pass. There could be cell phone information. There could be uh, other charges on a different credit card. Sure. So to me, their posture has been pretty solid that they think she's not involved in it. And I, it would be a shame if she is. And now they're going to have egg on their face. Yeah, well, I, I ask you this. Like I said, you didn't put the hair on. Uh, the, the, this woman has three hairs uh, on the bodies, right? Two two of her own and one of one of her daughters. And one her daughter's daughter. hair is there, that is. And she's an adult now. You know, and people say, well, she was only 13 at the time. Or what? You spend a day with me or two in family court. Tell me that kids who were 12, 11, 10 don't commit crimes. Weird ones, especially growing up in a family like that. You think she was raised in a normal family where this guy's calling in hundreds of sex workers over and over and over again? You don't think that she was raised in a weird family and has there's a weird result? Bill and I have always brought up the fact that we think there could have been some domestic abuse in the household based on what we the little that we know about Rex Human's uh, family life. But uh, uh, whether or not a, a child is involved in these murders is, is uh, I guess, you know, that's a question for another time. Right. It is. Indeed. Yeah. I agree with Mr. you. Mr. Ray, I just, I just want to give you a plug. I want to plug your uh, GoFundMe. Folks, www.gofundme.com. Uh, slash uh, forward slash F slash list dash Magdalene. That's Mr. Ray's GoFundMe for his uh, four hour. It was a four hour meeting the other day that you had at St. John's University. And it, those things cost a lot of money. If you guys could contribute to defray the cost of that, it would be uh, very much appreciated. Sure. Um, Mr. Ray, you know something? I, I, there's a lot. This, this whole case is uh, obviously... Uh, a case that doesn't happen in a hundred years, you know, and it doesn't happen all over this world. Serial killers are very rare these days because of technology and that type of thing, but they still do occur. But there's, and, and again, Phil, I think was sincere about, we really do appreciate your work on this. And that's what got this case Absolutely. to the forefront and got the police paying attention to it. And look, Rodney Harrison and, and Ray Tierney, they put together this task force and 14 months later. Uh, and then you could see some of the mistakes that were made, well, it, you know, shine a spotlight on what was being done. Nothing was being done. One detective was assigned to this. Shine a spotlight. The Chevy Avalanche was in the case folder. No one even looked at it, right? The, yep. the eyewitnesses that seized the ogre, the six foot six inch Rex Ewerman, they could have done surveillance at the Long Island Railroad Station and spotted him. You know, they didn't do real police work till they established this task force. So we are sincere, Mr. Ray. Maybe we're a little heated, but you know, something that. Hey, listen, Grimaldi, I didn't mean to insult you. No, no, no. Listen to me. It's spirited no, debate, in my opinion. He, he, Believe he, me, he, my he, feelings aren't hurt. I've been through worse in court, and I've gone to lunch with the attorney that was attacking me. So it's all <laughs> part of uh, it's all part of what we do. And I yeah. think it was I, – I love being challenged. I love spirited debate. So if I got a little heated, it was yeah, only I, because of that. I want I right, to give me, my forgive opinion. Me, all right? Forgive me. All right. Absolutely. Let me go, let me go to a quick attorney commercial, and then Absolutely. we'll uh, – 
Joe Murray, attorney at law. Now, guys, listen, if you found yourself a gym and you're within the New York City and surrounding area, there's none of them but Joe Murray because he is your man. He's not only a criminal defense attorney, he's also a retired 15-year member of the NYPD. So he literally knows both sides of defense. Right there on the screen, you could see jmurray-law.com is his website. His telephone number is 646-838-1702. Or you could reach Joe by email at joe at jmurray-law.com. Joe is a big supporter of police off the cuff, real crime stories. And we think he's a terrific criminal defense attorney. And we're in the presence of a criminal defense attorney that we think is also very good. Thank you. Mr. Ray, I, 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 we kept you for an, over an hour and 30 minutes, and I, I want to thank you uh, for that. Uh, sure. it's, been, it's been a pleasure. And you know something? Look, we do this. We, we, this, is, this show is a labor of love. You know, I'm, here, I'm in Jupiter, Florida right now doing this show, you know, and it's a labor of love. And every once in a while, we get a great guest like yourself, and we enjoy it, and it gets spirited. And people in the chat sometimes, you know, they're, they're rooting for you, and they're going against the police again, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I, I, like I said, I, it, it's not about anti-police. I just last Sunday, you know, I played lacrosse as you, you know, I'm a goalie yeah. and at 58 years. And I, uh, I played for the Nassau County police department uh, two Sundays ago in, in box lacrosse. So I get along with the cops. I, it's just, in this case, they dropped the ball. That's all. Absolutely. Mike, your final words. Uh, I just want to say thank you very much for John Ray. I appreciate you coming on. And uh, thank you for your work on this case. It's been terrific. And uh, keep going. Thank Phil, you. final words. I think it took a lot of guts, Mr. Ray, to come on. And I really do appreciate it. And again, I'm going to say it for the third time. Without you, this case, I don't know where it would have went. Thank you for coming on. Again, hopefully no hard feelings. I would love to have a beer with you sometime. Uh -huh. uh, spirited debate is the way I see it. Your opinion was a little different than mine. And we cannot forget the victims in this case, the four that were named, Melissa Bartholomew, Mega Waterman, Amber Costello, and Maureen Braided-Bard, as well as Shannon Gilbert and the other victims that are still victims of some type of uh, misfortune in this case. We just want to keep thoughts and prayers for those people and their families. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mr. Ray, again, I just want to thank you for coming on the show. We kept you longer. We kept you hostage for an hour and 30 minutes, but uh, it, it was very interesting. And, you know, if you ever want to come on again, just send me uh, send me an email and we'd love to have you. If you want me, you could give me a call too. You oh, I'll do that too. I'll do that too. I don't know if you want me after that fight, but, uh, but it's a, it was a good fight. And listen, uh, you know, uh, I, I've, I've done this for a long time and I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep doing what I've been asked to do. I'm going to stick at it no matter what. So uh, I just appreciate your your up, my opportunity to go up against cops who see it from a different perspective than I do. So I thank you all for that very much. And I just want you to know, like I said, I'm sorry if I offended anybody. I'm sorry I hurt anybody. That's not my way. And uh, I hope you forgive me and we move on. Okay? No, we're fine. We're fine with it. Mr. Ray, thank you so much. And folks, thank you for listening. Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. Have a great night, everyone, and God bless. Stay safe. Watch, watch this symposium, and you get Detective Phil. You get you'll see something you haven't seen. I, I'm definitely going to do that. All right, thank you. All right. One episode, just